0: Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Again, that's 1 Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one under the chair in front of you, and you can open it to page 896. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful.
1: Good morning, everyone. Again, I just want to reiterate and encourage you to, if you haven't done so already, um, sign up for a smaller group. And uh, sign up sooner than later. So if you, if you can, please, uh, I exhort you to do so today. Uh, you'll be encouraged and challenged. And I think we all need that, especially during this season. Would you join me as we continue to worship, as we pray? Almighty God, would you by the power of your Holy Spirit open our hearts and minds, that indeed we may receive your word, that our hearts be taught to love it and cherish it, and our wills submit to it and obey it through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians and the couple of themes that we've noticed that you will probably uh, see repeating in today's passage. Uh, One of the themes is uh, the servant metaphor that we have seen throughout, especially in chapter 3 when Pastor Eugene was preaching through, how all God's servants, the English translation servants there. Um, serve a single common purpose, whether you're an Apollos or Paul or Peter, that um, they're serving to build up God's field, God's building. And here in today's passage, we see in ESV today the same word servant, but it's a different word, and we will see what that's about. And in today's context, we will learn that um, as God's servants, God's servants accountable to God alone and no one else. Um, so, in addition to the the theme, the metaphor of servants that we've seen in the book, there's another theme that we saw in um, chapter three. It's a theme of judgment. Um, in chapter three, verse five through fifteen, that Pastor Eugene preached through, we see that there will come a day, the day of judgment, when the Lord will return and the, the metaphor of fire um, is used to, or fire in a literal sense, is used to reveal whether our work has, is going to stand or not. Um, if our work is made of <clears throat> precious stones, like gold, silver, <clears throat> excuse me, precious stone, or wood, hay, or straw, um, we'll see, because the fire will reveal what our work was truly made of. And although that sounds scary, and it is for those who don't know Christ, it actually is a word of encouragement to those who are his servants. Because as the passage Eugene um, taught us, go- going through different crowns, it, it awaits us with different crowns of rewards that the Lord has prepared. Now in the past three chapters, we are reminded that the Corinthians... they want to be judged wise before the eyes of the world. And they've been judging their leaders, but with worldly standards. Not with the standards of the word, but through the worldly standards of their society and the culture. In today's passage, we're reminded as we go through these two big metaphors of servants, a different word that you might not have heard before, stewards, a word that if you've been coming to CGS, you've heard, and it's going to be a review. Um, As we look at those two big metaphors, there's only one person with a singular prerogative to judge and also, as a judge, bestow praise, and that's God and God alone. Now, before we jump into the passage and look at those two metaphors and continuing through the book of 1 Corinthians, there's a caveat that I want to throw out. You may think, uh, well... So does that mean that we, we don't practice any sort of judgment on Christian leaders, on pastors and preachers? No. Clearly, because if you read the Bible, as you pay attention to uh, New Testament, when a teacher preaches false doctrine, you are required to judge and correct. When a preacher or when a Christian who claims to be a Christian, is in explicit living in sin, then you are to discipline that person. And we see that coming up in 1 Corinthians as Paul awaits. So we're not talking about not judging, period. At times, it warrants judgment, especially when teachers, preachers teach false doctrine or they're living in sin. It's absolutely required, and that's your job. So, when we're talking in this context, we're talking about people who are teaching sound doctrine, but not living in sin. Those teachers, those preachers, we are not to judge because that job, that job is God's job. Just to kind of go back, if you think about Peter even in Galatians, um, he compromised the gospel. And was afraid to sit with certain people, and he had to be rebuked. Um, Apollos, during earlier part of ministry didn't he only knew of the uh, baptism of John, and he had to be taught in Acts chapter 18. So we know that discernment, judgment continues to happen. and as I was meditating this passage, it really made me think about my years of ministry and my preaching and just really challenged me to examine, it's like, have I been faithful? So I think for me, it really made me think and repent and just recalibrate whether, you know, I'm heeding to the very thing that God has been teaching throughout the Scriptures and distinguishing for us as congregation what are the essential things that you should be thinking of and what are the preferential things that we don't have to get so stuck on. Now in verse one, we are reminded here this is how one should regard us. Apostle Paul is talking um, to the Corinthian church, us referring to people like him, Peter, Apollos, etc, to regard them as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now New Testament uses many different words for servants. Um, Pastor Eugene taught us many different words. Uh, One of them might not be as familiar um, is oiketes, which is a kind of a domestic servant uh, word. Um, Dulos is a word that you've heard a lot um, coming to CGS. is a bond slave, someone in chains. Um, Diakonos, you've heard a lot because that's the word that's used um, to refer to deacons. Jesus came um, not to be deaconed, but to deacon. Diaconos is the word, and that's a server, a servant. But in today's passage, it's actually a different word that some of you might not have heard before. And this word is a word used um, in the context of a galley, a big ship back in the Old Testament, uh, old times, in the uh, Jesus times. And this word is um, huperestes. Now, Uh, Romans Greeks Persians um, Phoenicians excuse me they use these uh, ancient vessels called trireme if you uh, are into you know ships you probably know what that is and typically these triremes have three tiers of rowers Um, so you have rows sticking out at different level one, two, three Um, and the huperistes are the rowers on the bottom third level. So they are the lowest of the rowers, and when they're supposed to row, um, they hear the drum or whatever signal they receive, they row. They have really no say. The only thing they got to do is when they're supposed to row, they row. Now, that word eventually came to represent just people at the bottom. It's kind of like the low, the subordinate, Those who do menial tasks, kind of the lowest of the all servants. And this is the word that Apostle Paul uses. Consider us, regard us as servants in this way. Um, And because, here's the key. Yes, they are galley servants rowing at the bottom, but we are not your servants we are servants of Christ. We rode to his command. As Christian leaders, um, we are servants of Christ. One master, Jesus himself. I think it's tempting at times for me to think, um, it's tempting to want to please people, um, I think when you do a survey of people who go into ministry, uh, one of the traits that people notice is they like to serve, and the language they use is like they like to serve people. But actually, that's a very dangerous way of thinking and entering in ministry. And if, we, if, you, are, if you are prone to like to serve people, then the tendency is to, instead of keeping God as the master to please, we can easily be swayed and want to please people, the master is Christ himself. So I, when I serve Christ as master, then I can serve you the best. But if I try to serve you, then I can easily be misled into lesser things than what would truly be helpful. And where is a room for glory if you are a you know, third row galley rower? There's no glory. You're a servant who's supposed to just do what you're told to do. If you don't do it, then you get in trouble. But your job is to roll. Your job as a menial servant is to just obey the master, his bidding. You've heard enough times about what it means to be a steward. All Christians are God's stewards. We've all been given resources, and you had an opportunity uh, to uh, give back to God, share to those who need, and we've all been given different spiritual gifts. We've been given the greatest gift of the gospel, and we are called to share it. We are called to minister in building his house, his field, and we're all stewards. Um, and the same language is used here uh, oikonomos, two root word, split, oikos, house, uh, meno, uh, to serve. So it's a chief servant, whether in a house or an estate, who Controls Now, we kind of shift the metaphor of like a lowly nobody who just has to row to now a steward who controls staff, controls resources, has a lot of freedom compared to is someone who's been entrusted with a lot. But at the end of the day, he's still a slave accountable to the master, the master's stuff. And the preachers are given... This mysteries of God, stewarding the mysteries of God. It's the gospel message. We've been going through again and again. The gospel message, Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews, folly, uh, to the Gentiles. Christ crucified. That's the message that preachers, teachers, pastors been entrusted. This is why when you listen to a sermon, it can't be just a generically moralistic message. I mean, you can hear that in TED Talks to other uh, talks in general. Christian message has to have the gospel. And, and here's another part. Um, sometimes God, the word gospel is used very loosely. Um, Sometimes people use the word, oh, and here's the gospel, and they're saying that as just to point out there's a good news. But it's not the good news of Jesus Christ who died the death that we need to have died instead, but it's just a generic good news. That's not the gospel that the Bible speaks of. The the gospel that the Bible speaks of is an offense because it is captured at the heart of it, by what Christ did on the cross, overcoming sin and death in our stead. And the main task of a Christian preacher is to preach this gospel that's been entrusted. Um, I thought a lot about my sermons in the past whatever number of years and uh, um, for whatever different reasons and excuses... I had to do some soul-searching and repenting and just reminded that at the heart of it all, it is a Christ-centered message, that cross-centered message that we've been given, um, that we've been entrusted. Um, The congregation at Corinth, they're so used to measuring, evaluating, judging. That word, we'll come to it later. Um, the effectiveness of efficacy or whatever value of their of the preachers by the standard that they're so uh, infused with in the Corinthian culture the rhetoric the, the style the pomp and everything and here we're reminded that it's, it's about knowing that you've been given this and you need to steward it well it's like um, we're a server We're supposed to just receive what we've been given and just give it out. Don't change it. Don't adulterate it. Don't tweak it. Give it as it was given. In verse 2, we come to this, says, Moreover, it is required of what? Stewards that they be found faithful. Now, because stewards, economists, um, they have a lot of independence, right? And they have a lot of responsibility. um, It's absolutely important that they are faithful they're responsible they're trustworthy or else why would you appoint someone to do this task you would do it yourself you would only appoint someone who can be trusted to follow through with all that is there to be done and what is paul saying is you can't judge me because i'm gonna be judged by the master i am a steward We're all fellow servants, Um, and if you are a steward in, in this time, you would hear complaints from fellow servants, fellow slaves, if you do something that doesn't align with what they might be expecting. But at the end of the day, that steward is going to be answering to the master, not to the fellow servants who are working and serving the household of God. Why can't these Corinthians judge Paul? It's because at the end, they're all servants of God, and it's going to be the master who's going to be judging them, including him. It's not their job to judge him. There's only one person that you're going to be waiting to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. assuming is this implicit condemnation of unfaithful teachers. And we see this again and again in the letters that Paul wrote. They're unfaithful teachers who teach false doctrine. And he points them out, attacks them for all the Gnostic influence to whatever um, gifts that they may have that compromises the essence of the gospel that was given. Um, I mentioned that all of us Christians are stewards, and 1 Peter 4 tells us that, but um, teachers, preachers, um, in James chapter 3, um, are going to be held with a greater judgment. It's a scary thing to stand here, um, because the Bible tells us that we will be judged more strictly. Um, In that sense, ministers, preachers, teachers are kind of like bankers who've been given a great deposit, been entrusted with this mystery, mysteries of God, this gospel. And God wants us to be faithful. Not be so consumed about being original, kind of um, creative, but just be faithful. This is what you've been given. Be faithful and feed the sheep. Um, We don't have the authority to change anything. We're just a steward and trusted. In the past probably decade or longer, church has been influenced by different kind of uh, cultural kind of uh, factors. And, you know, there's been a lot of language of creativity in church. Um, with all the best intentions, and here's another way we're reminded, good intentions are just not enough if it's not grounded. Um, wanting to be creative to bring people in um, through ways that doesn't actually align with the word at the end, at best it's going to be bait and switch. That's if you actually switch to the gospel. but it doesn't honor God when. People of God, who's been entrusted, are not being faithful. Uh, I was, uh, I had a conversation before COVID started. This young leader of a church in Bergen County reached out to me and asked for some just thoughts because he felt something was weird. He was, you know, one of the leaders in the young kind of ministry of the church, and he asked. He was telling me how his church leaders. Um, asked him and his fellow peers to do kind of a survey and ask, hey, what are you looking for in a church? What do you want? Kind of like asking for the comfort questions and preference questions, and it, and it sounded pretty much like a strategic polling, kind of like a focus group kind of questions, and I told them that's what, what businesses do to sell a product, right? And none of that aligns with anything in the way Bible teaches how a church should be led. Your church shouldn't be asking you what you want in a church. Um, So he kind of, obviously, he wouldn't have reached out to me if something didn't quite sit right. So we just talked about, like, biblical church, um, biblical theology, how church should be led. And I exhorted him to... um, you know, submit to the elders um, and not to take this as a kind of opportunity to just say and fight for what he wants or what he prefers because that's not going to mature him and that's not a biblical way of being a church. Um, but unfortunately, that sort of thinking has Come into our current church culture, um, but we're we're told here, God wants preachers, God wants churches to be just faithful to the message of the gospel that's been given. Don't corrupt it. Don't tweak it. Just be faithful. Don't try to be just creative, but just be obedient. I think sometimes I'm tempted to think of, what's something new? Again that's a wrong question. What's something new that I can teach is a wrong question for me to ask as a preacher. The question that God wants us to be thinking as I'm preparing, the question that we need to be thinking as we're listening isn't something, what's something new that I haven't learned that I can learn today so that I feel like a little smarter, like, ooh, I learned something new. That totally misses the point. The important question is, what does the Word of God teach, and how can we trust it, obey it, and live it out? As our brother Sam prayed in the congregational prayer. when we were going through the book of Matthew and came to chapter 25, we we hit that section about um, the servants, the parable of talent, and we know the master's response. And it's, well done, good and what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. In verse 3, as we continue... Uh, Apostle Paul says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. So here the word judge is used a couple times, um, twice, and it's not like a final verdict judgment. It's more like the word like examine or scrutinize. It's what you would do before the final verdict, Okay. And um, he's essentially saying, you know what, your human assessment of me or any other teachers, it really doesn't matter because what really matters is at the end, the verdict, the judgment that God's going to make in the final day. Whether by you or by human court, and actually literally it's a human day, kind of echoing back to Uh, The previous chapter, the judgment day, right? It's the same kind of uh, uh, metaphor here in chapter 3, verse 13. Uh, Just like I mentioned, if you're an estate manager and you are a steward, you will be criticized by fellow servants who are under you because you have people that you need to make sure does stuff for the master's goal. Um, But at the end, it it doesn't matter. Um, It doesn't matter what you think. Corinthian church, it doesn't matter what the court may say. And to be honest, it doesn't matter even what I think I am doing, whether I think I'm doing well or poorly, it doesn't matter. My self-esteem or my assessment of self actually doesn't matter. Human assessments don't matter. At the end, God's verdict matters. Self-esteem, self-evaluation can't be the final arbiter of judgment. Sometimes we esteem ourselves a little bit too much. Sometimes we esteem ourselves a little too low, too little. And again, as we mentioned, we've been going through the book of Corinthians. Corinthians have been infamous for just using worldly standards, um, external appearance, and this manners and rhetoric that's been used to evaluate. And this prideful worldly comparison Whether, you know, comparing him to Apollos or to Peter, it's like all of this is inappropriate. You shouldn't be doing this. Because as Pastor Eugene reminded us, all things are given by God. All things, including all these teachers, teachers who are teaching sound doctrine, who are not living in sin, all of these teachers have been given by God for you. You should receive it, learn from it, and, Delight in it as a gift from God. Don't judge them. Don't judge me, because only God can judge. It's kind of ridiculous. What's say another, you know, third-tier rower gonna judge another rower or uh, a fellow servant or slave in a estate? What is he or she to judge about the basically the steward in charge that the master has entrusted? There's no place in that. You live, we live in a day where more often than not, if you've seen a therapist or a counselor, um, people equate or attribute our human predicament, our um, vices or the wrong choices, as attributable to our low self-esteem. Just view yourself a little higher. People would say, it doesn't matter what others think of you. Just decide for yourself what matters and let that be important. Decide for yourself what you want to be, what's important to you, and just ignore what other people may think. So if you have low self-esteem, the answer is high self-esteem. That's the only alternative that we're given. See the greatness in you. But you know what Paul says here? I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what others think of me. I don't even care what I think of myself. None of that matters. I have a low opinion of your assessment of me. I have a low opinion of others' assessment of me. I have a low view of my assessment of myself. Because, as we'll see later, one, no one can truly see the heart or the motive, what's truly going on, but God himself. And we are masters of self-deception. If we really want to believe something, we can easily deceive ourselves, convince ourselves of something, too. Having a clear conscience is not enough to truly believe that we are innocent. I mean, you think of people like Hitler, Mao, or Stalin. Just because for them they had clear conscience doesn't mean it suffice. Paul is someone, to continue with this kind of a metaphor of ships, someone with an incredible ballast. A ballast is this heavy weight that a ship like a yacht would have on the bottom of his ship. Um, Greater the top, stronger, excuse me, heavier the ballast. It's what grounds the ship so that it doesn't tip over when the wind or the gust comes. He's not full of himself. He's not insecure, but he's full of God. He's full and filled with Christ. And this is the essence of gospel humility it's not like thinking more of myself and saying oh i'm great no and it's not thinking less of yourself oh i'm worthless still about yourself but it's just you stop thinking about yourself because you realize at best i'm a you know a servant or a steward who's been entrusted it's it's the master that i'm trying to please filled by what he has done and the message he has for us You know, when you go to a room for the first time, you go to a place that you've never been before, meeting people, you, as a human being, and depending on how I'm doing with Christ, sometimes I do a better job, sometimes I do worse, I'll kind of be thinking, it's like, oh, you know, how do I look here? Like, how do I fit here? Do I really want to be here? And it's really grounded in my sense of insecurity. And it's that kind of desire and the need for acknowledgment security self esteem that this essentially this passage is attacking because either we will look for approval from people including yourself or you won't because of something else in the gospel verse 4 continues by saying for i am not for i am not aware of anything against myself meaning His conscience is pretty clear, but I'm not thereby acquitted. Just because my conscience is clear doesn't mean I'm not guilty. It is the Lord who judges me. You know, the Greeks and the uh, Romans, they emphasize, the philosophers emphasize that your conscience is kind of like the final judgment of a person. And we we live in a day and age where we're encouraged to vote according to our conscience. Um, You know, I've been told that, or stand, stand behind your conscience. And I think there, there is value in that. However, I mean, we mentioned about the noetic effect of our uh, mind and everything before. I think Pastor Eugene did. You can't just rely on your own conscience. It's, it's Again, we, sin has impacted us that we can easily deceive ourselves. We can't trust our conscience. It needs to be recalibrated again and again by the word and the gospel truth. As much as at the end, when you go vote in November for those of us who can, vote according to your conscience, but may our conscience be continually refined by the word. Because if we're not careful, um, our conscience it's, it's like anything. It constantly needs to be recalibrated to what is true. One of the things that I kind of think about when we... I haven't done it recently, but when we do confession of sins, we typically think about confessing our sins of commission. That's like the lowest level of sin, meaning the bad things we do. When you're little... You, you, you say, oh, I did something wrong, right? I punched somebody, I lied to somebody, or I stole something. That sins of commissions that are usually more visible. But we also confess sins of omission. Now, this is a bigger circle of responsibility. Good things that we don't do, like love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a lot harder to do than just not hurting someone. But however, I think when I think about the whole conscience part and, and the noetic effect of our sinfulness because of Adam, is that even when you do good, you can still do it for the wrong reason. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do good, but it sometimes is about not God. It's not really for the well-being of the other person. But if we're not careful, it's really about us. So that's sometimes I think it's important for us to confess our sins of commission, doing good for the wrong reason too. Be careful about when you think about your conscience. Just because your conscience, my conscience is at ease, doesn't mean I'm acquitted, I'm okay with God. And Paul is saying that like, I'm not going to just trust my conscience because it's not a perfect indicator of how I'm doing with God. In verse 5, um, therefore, it's like therefore, all, all the things I've been talking about, do not pronounce judgment. Here now is the final judgment. Before the English word is um, kind of evaluation. Here is the final. Don't pronounce judgment. Final verdict before the time. Time the end of time. The day of judgment before the Lord comes. Right, who will bring to light uh, the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Um, Pastor Eugene talked about uh, in the previous sermon about fire burning through whether precious metal or um, you know flammable stuff. It will reveal what's truly made of then each person and this is the part that i think is really cool then each one will receive his commendation that's an approval that's a reward from god the day of judgment is a time of reward and commendation something that god alone can do it's a day to look forward to for the faithful for the servants of the lord But it is a scary time for those who are not of the Lord, who are not servants of God. But again, just as even the day of judgment in chapter 3, the emphasis was about the reward of those saved. Here again, God's going to come, stop judging, stop evaluating, you know, servants of God. Know that God's going to give the final verdict, and when he does, he's going to be commending them. Pretty encouraging. Um, at the end we don't know the end of the story you know we, we know people um, in ministry and until they actually pass away we, we don't know how they will finish there's been a recent unfortunate event in One large religious institution where one of the key leaders um, did something just really foolish, to say the least. Um, We don't know how a person will finish the race that's been given. So we can't make that kind of a judgment, and that's what we're to hold back. And you and I are not God. We can't see the heart of someone, so don't judge. Stop evaluating Again, evaluate false doctrine, evaluate, judge sinful living. But we're talking about if they are not teaching false doctrine, if they are teaching sound doctrine, they're not living in sin. Stay away from that kind of judgment. Stay away from that kind of assessment. That's not for you to do. You are another third uh, level rower, you are at best another servant in that household. Just be faithful. Let the master be the one judging when he comes. How do you respond to criticism, brothers and sisters? Do you get devastated when someone says something to you that points something out? Or do you just receive it well? It's like, hey, that sounds all right. I'll, I appreciate that. Do you lose sleep over that sort of stuff, or can you really receive it? What if our community, uh, as a church, as disciples, as servants of Christ, stewards of the gospel? What if we don't need to? We don't need to like fight for or seek so be so desperate for honor. Like we don't need to get it, receive it. But at the same time, we're not afraid of it. What if we don't lust after recognition, but at the same time, we're not frightened or paralyzed by it? What if as people of God, as servants of God, as stewards of God, we're not like dreaming of like hitting a self-esteem home run as one person would say. But because we already know who we are and whose we are, just learn to be faithful and content. All of us have lived each day in one way as kind of entering a courtroom. You've felt a prosecutor attacking you you yourself was a defender or you looked for defenders to defend you. And every day, in some way, was a day that you had to defend. I've been there, I think in my early years, uh, in youth especially, every day felt like that. And it was a hard life to live, no peace, always trying to prove. But Apostle Paul found something that is not from this world. This is part of the mystery that God revealed through Jesus Christ. For him, why is he able to not care about human assessment, including himself? How how does he do that? It's because fundamentally he believes in a different verdict that's in. You can't justify me. Other people can't justify me. I can't justify myself. At the end of the day, only God's judgment counts. God's judgment made through Jesus Christ. It is only this gospel, Christ crucified, stumbling blocks to Jews, foolishness, folly for the Gentile, that allows us to hear the verdict. Not guilty. You are right before me. Because of Jesus Christ. It is this verdict. It is this verdict for those who trust in the finished work, the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that allows Apostle Paul no longer to enter that court anymore. He doesn't have to be standing anymore. Because verdict is in. Are you tired of standing on trial every day? For those of you who do not know Jesus... Jesus invites you to himself. He invites you to trust in the gospel that he so loved the world that he gave his only son to die the death that you should have died to pay the penalty of sin. But to those who trust in what he did, he gives eternal life. And for those of us who find ourselves, we, we say we're Christians, maybe you find yourself going back to try to prove If you find yourself listening a little bit too much to what people have to say about you, or if you find yourself listening a little too much to what you have to say about you, then we gotta go back to the room where Jesus stood on your behalf. We need to remember that Jesus stood in that courtroom, he went to trial. He was the sacrificial lamb for the sin of humanity. He was struck, not you or me. He was unjustly tried, and he was put to death as our substitute. That's the only place we can go back to so that we don't need to enter into any human court because the verdict is in. Christ has paid the penalty. Jesus took the condemnation that we deserved was tried in our place so that we will be accepted. The broken relationship with our creator restored. That's why salvation, indeed, is by faith alone, grace alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, so that no one can boast. Brothers and sisters, as we continue to go through the book of 1 Corinthians, may we, look at the gospel again, come back to that courtroom where Christ stood so that we don't stand before any court in that sense, but only the ultimate judgment when Jesus returns and the commendation that he gives out to the faithful ones. May that be what we look forward to. Would you join me as we pray? Lord God, we confess that we forget that we are at best your servants, stewards. We forget who we are, and we forget that it is you who will judge. Would you keep us humble enough as your body and knowing who we are but more importantly knowing who you are that you are the master that we are going to be held accountable to and Lord we pray I pray for myself Pastor Eugene and all the teachers preachers that we stay humble faithful uh, to what you've entrusted us with the gospel message that we wouldn't be shy about it but we'll be faithful in faithfully preaching and meeting out what you have given us. But we thank you for the cross, and in your name we pray, amen.